You're listening to audio from the Branch Church Milledgeville. If you would like to learn more about our church, what we do, or who we are, please visit tbcmilledgeville.com. If you're located in the central Georgia area, please consider joining us for worship at 730 North Wayne Street in Milledgeville, Georgia, on Sundays with fellowship beginning at 10 a.m. and worship kicking off at 1030. Alyssa, thank you so much. As we continue our walk through the Gospel of John, we reach the end of, well, the middle of John 16 this morning, verses 16 through 24. So if you would turn to John chapter 16, John chapter 16, we will be looking into verses 16 through 24 this morning. Thank you so much for joining us for worship here at the Branch Church of Milledgeville. It's great to see each of you on this Lord's Day. I, I tell you, I've told, this, told you this before, but this is my favorite day of the week. It is. Not only because we get to worship our Lord, but because I get to be with each of y'all. So thank you for joining us this morning. Psalm 42 was our opening. Sorrow. Sorrow reaches us each day in our lives. Maybe not every day, maybe not even every week, but sorrow reaches us at some point in our life, doesn't it? We reach for joy, but it's hard to reach, it's hard to find sometimes in our lives. John 16 reminds us of the compassion of Christ this morning. It reminds us that our hope is not in this world. Be it wife, be it child, be it house, be it home, be it local church body, be it great brothers and sisters in Christ, our hope is nothing in this world. Certainly all those things can bring us joy because they are brought to us by the hand of God, by his grace. But our joy fullness of joy forevermore resides in Christ alone. This morning, as we approach this passage in John 16, consider the present age that we live in, and then consider the age to come. This present age, for Christ followers, it brings trying circumstances, issues, I'm thinking about the Brit- British Open right now, so I'm trying to focus here. So, <laughs> All right, it brings issues to us, right? This present age, as followers of Christ, every day can be trying to us. Every day can be challenging to us. We, we have the pull of the, lo- of the world, the pull of the, lo- of the world to follow the world, to reach to the world, things that we can hold in our hands, things that we, that we can see where our, with our physical eyes. Not all, things, not all those things are bad, mind you. But this present age, the world is used for hardship and disappointment for us as followers of Christ. It should be, anyway. Because, again, our hope is not in this world. The Apostle Paul described this age as the present evil age in Galatians 1, verse 4. So the age to come, when Christ returns, 
The hope of God's people resides not in this world or in this present age of the world, but in the age and the world to come when Christ returns to this world, when he sits foot again on this earth. Without hope, there is sorrow. Without hope, there is sorrow. John 16, verse 6, if you look up a little higher on your page there, we read this, but because I have said these, these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. Christ was reminding the disciples, as he, as he did in the very first year of his earthly ministry, that I will leave you. I will leave you to return to the Father, to sit on my throne. I will leave you, but the hour has come. It is almost time for that to actually happen. And he has been reminding them in this chapter and before, in all three years of his ministry, I will leave you. But again, the time has come. And sorrow filled the disciples' hearts. This is where we find the disciples in this passage this morning. Sorrow. Sorrow is filling their hearts, has filled their hearts. Sorrow here, the word used here, actually means overcome, overcome with sorrow, engulfed by sorrow, meaning it has, there's no joy, there's no happiness, there's nothing left but sorrow. Sorrow has filled my soul, filled my heart, filled my mind, completely overcome. Jesus shows himself to be the absolute compassionate Lord of their lives in this passage. John 16, verses 16 through 24. Join me in reading. A, a little while, and you will see me no longer. And again, a little while, and you will see me. So some of his disciples said to one another, What is this that he says to us? A little while, and you will not see me. And again, a little while, and you will see me. And because I am going to the Father. So they were saying, what does he mean by a little while? We do not know what he is talking about. Jesus knew that they wanted to ask him, so he said to them, is this what you are asking yourselves? What I meant by saying, a little while and you will not see me, and again, a little while and you will see me? Truly, truly, I say to you, you will weep and lament, but the world will rejoice. You will be sorrowful, but your sorrow will turn into joy. When a woman is giving birth, she has sorrow because her hour has come. But when she has delivered the baby, she no longer remembers the anguish for joy that a human being has been born into the world. So also, you have sorrow now, but I will see you again and your hearts will rejoice and no one will take your joy from you. In that day, you will ask nothing of me. Truly, truly, I say to you, whatever you ask of the Father in my name, he will give it to you. Until now, you have asked nothing in my name. Ask, and you will receive, that your joy may be full. Join me in prayer. Father, as we have just read your word, I pray that your word pierce our minds, pierce our hearts, pierce our souls, that our lives be changed this morning, that our lives be more sanctified this morning as we see you in your word, as we hear you in your word. 
I pray that you focus us upon you, even me, as we study this passage this morning, Lord. We praise you. We thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. First, let's look at verses 16 through 19. Momentary sorrow. For the follower of Christ, sorrow will not last forever. It will not last forever. And even moments of sorrow in our lives are actually momentary in nature. There may be sorrow after sorrow after sorrow after sorrow for some of us, but that momentary sorrow is in fact momentary. The hour was almost upon him. At this time of the night, on that Thursday night, in the late evening, it had actually passed beyond midnight. So at this point in John 16, we are in the very, very early hours of Friday, the day when Christ would be crucified. Verse 16, we read the words, in a little while, in a little while, his death on the cross was, again, literally hours away. This was not the first time, again, the disciples have been confused, perplexed by the words or deeds of Christ. We have read over and over in the gospel accounts concerning their confusion, their lack of understanding. They're being perplexed about what they had seen Christ do, what they had heard him say. Matthew 14, 22 through 33 is one of those examples. Christ had finished ministering, he sent the disciples across to the other side of the Sea of Galilee. Go, get in your boat, and sail across to the other side. What comes about in their journey? That storm, that great storm on that great sea. Christ comes to them, doing what? Walking on the water, showing his deity in one example. Walking on the water to them. What do the disciples exclaim? It's a ghost. It's a ghost in verse 26 of Matthew 14. It's a ghost. They did not realize it was him until he what? Spoke. Until he spoke to them. Until they heard the voice of Christ. Confusion had set in in that moment for the disciples. Why would Jesus send us into such a storm? Why would Jesus do this? Why would he not plainly reveal himself while walking across that stormy sea? Confusion had set in on this very early Friday morning for the disciples here as well. But they were confused not because, not because Jesus was unclear during the course of his ministry. Not because he was unclear in what he spoke to them not because he confused them intentionally with his speaking. Remember, when he told the parables, for instance, throughout the gospel accounts, it was not the disciples, his disciples, that he sought to confuse, but the Pharisees, the unbelievers. So every word he spoke to them, it was not meant to confuse them. The disciples were confused because they did not want to believe what he said. They did not want to believe that Christ was really going to physically leave them, that he was really going to physically die on a cross. They didn't want to believe. After all, they had hoped, they had waited for the Messiah. They had waited for his age to come upon the earth. And when he arrived, 
What did they think? They thought that not only the heavenly kingdom had come, but he would establish his earthly kingdom then and there. That he would overrule, overturn every other leader, that he would stand above all others right then. But he didn't do that yet. He will, but not yet. So the disciples did not want to believe what he was saying because in their minds in this moment, their thought might have been, well, Christ, if you go away physically from us, if you die on that cross, it's over. It's over. Not only is it over, but how in the world are we going to stand as your disciples without you right here by our side? You are the one who has defeated the Pharisees as they they sought to kill you up to this time. You are the one who evaded them. You are the one who rescued us physically. How are we going to be able to do this without you? They were confused. For the Christ follower, sorrow need not be confusing and rather is a path to joy. For the follower of Christ, sorrow need not be confusing, but is a path to joy. Joy is seen, joy is known on the path of sorrow. The path of sorrow leads to your joy in Christ. I've used the example before of Jennifer's breast cancer, of of many other things, of my mother's bout with ALS that led to her death. Have you experienced sorrow in your life? I'm not talking just pain, just, just momentary pain or anguish. I'm talking sorrow. Those moments in your life that have just removed like a vacuum in your soul, any joy. If you haven't, as a follower of Christ, you will. If you be a follower of Jesus Christ, you will have those times in your life. Why? Why? Because I can tell you from experience, as I know those of you who have seen those times in your life can tell me and tell others, in those times, in those times, not only your physical eyes, but your spiritual eyes are perfectly viewing Christ, as perfect as you possibly can in this present age, in this flesh. In those times, you see Christ and you know him all the more. You know his love. You see his compassion. And your faith has grown to the point where you truly believe that he will never leave you nor forsake you. Notice, notice this in this passage. As we approach verses 20 through 22. Notice this, and what Christ communicates to them, this fact. Truth dispels confusion. Truth dispels confusion. Jesus was not afraid to tell his disciples what was ahead of them, what they would soon face. What they would soon face is more than confusion, but but fear. Remember, at the cross of Christ, after his death, What did they all do? They fled. Peter denied him three times as Christ told him he would. They fled. 
but Christ did not flee from them. Verses 20 through 22, we see joy now. We see that joy is now, just not then in the age to come, but joy is now in this present age in which we live. Joy is not realized in spite of the sorrow. Sorrow is the path which leads to joy as we would not know otherwise. To run this race of faith, to run headlong this race of faith toward Christ, toward the age that he will bring, with endurance in this present age, we look to the perfect example, the perfect example, the one who saw joy amidst his horrible sorrow. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2. You read this very well-known verse that most of us, if not all of us, have heard before and read many times ourselves. Looking to Jesus the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, not for the sorrow that was set before him. He had his sorrowful moment in the Garden of Gethsemane when he pleaded with the Father, Father, if there be any other way, let this cup pass from me because Christ knew what was approaching him. He knew the cords that would shred his back. He knew the sorrow of the cross, the nails that would be driven through his hands and feet. The sorrow of the Father turning his back on him when the sin of the world, the sin of everyone whom God would save would be cast upon him. For the joy that was set before him endured the cross despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. That is our example. That is our example. When the sovereign hand of God brings you to times of sorrow in your life, go read Hebrews 12 too. See Christ and the joy that he looked upon that cross. Jesus understood the news of his departure would sadden the disciples. He knew what this would accomplish in their hearts, in their minds, in their souls, the sorrow it would bring, but he did not refrain from giving them the hard news. Listen, this is why anytime you come to the Branch Church Milledgeville, you will hear truth preached from this pulpit, no matter how hard or difficult it is to say in this present age. Far too many churches in our country, in this world, have fallen to the world. Far too many churches, far too many churches agree with homosexual marriage. Far too many churches agree with abortion. Far too many churches agree with far too many things that this world agrees with that God does not Seek that church, seek that pulpit, seek that truth that is proclaimed to you. Why? That you may know God, that you may know God and what he desires for your life, not what you desire, not what I desire. 
Listen, I desired, I've told you before, I was a pretty good pitcher in middle school. I threw a no-hitter in high school. I did, in Brentwood, Tennessee. I thought I was going to keep growing. I mean, I, I, I kind of like when I stand up on this mock stage a little bit that, that I can kind of perceive that I'm maybe close to six feet tall at this point. I thought I was going to go on. I thought one day I was going to, now it's Truist Park, at that time it was Turner Field, I was going to stand on the mound at Turner Field. And I was going to throw gas at 95 miles an hour, even though I never had. That didn't happen. My desires for earthly pleasure did not come about by God's grace. By God's grace. I never would have met the beautiful lady that I married in almost 30 years now, 28 years this October. Wouldn't have these two beautiful children. We'll not mention Bailey since he's not here. <laughs> Wouldn't have the grandchild that Bailey, that God brought to Bailey and Abby. Listen, we all have desires for earthly pleasure. We all do. I just started picking up the sport of pickleball. Uh, and I look at George laughing at me like, uh, maybe you shouldn't. But I just started picking it up. And, and I have aspirations that, that one day I can go to some local tournament, maybe once I reach 50 and I can play in that next age bracket, um, and go win a local tournament or something with a doubles partner because it would never happen in singles. We all have earthly aspirations, and we should. Listen, as a follower of Jesus Christ, we've talked about this as we've done things to this worship room to make it as we feel better, a better opportunity to worship and welcome others in to worship with us. It smells better. It looks better, right? Everything that we do as a follower of Jesus Christ, we should seek to do in an excellent manner. We should aspire that it be excellent in worldly nature. Why? Because it magnifies the Christ that we worship, the Christ that knows us, and the Christ we seek to proclaim through everything that we do. The disciples would lament and weep for a time, but also then be joyful. The disciples would lament and weep for a time. The world would what? What does Jesus say there? The world would rejoice. The world still rejoices because they think Christ is dead. The world still rejoices in their pride and their worldly aspirations that they think brings them everything that they will ever want or need because why? They live their best life now. They seek to live their best life in the here and now. Listen, as the follower of Christ, we don't seek to live our best life now. Our best life is coming. I saw another example this week on, on the Senate floor of an esteemed professor from Berkeley as she sat before this Senate panel exclaiming why women should have the right to murder their babies. Exclaiming joyfully, pridefully, why a woman should have that right. 
even though God says no, not at any moment, not at any time, no. She further exclaimed, as she got pushed back from a certain senator, further exclaimed that, well, men can have babies. And Senator, if you push back on that, then, then you are spewing hatred. The world will rejoice. The world rejoices in a dead Christ. The disciples would be joyful in a little while because while he would leave them temporarily in his death, he would be restored to them in his resurrection. In verse 22, they would see him again and experience a joy that no one would be able to take away from them. Never, never be removed from them. Jesus is stressing to them they would have an abiding joy because they would know Jesus and conquer, had conquered death and hell. We can endure every trial knowing that we will live eternally in the new heavens and new earth as Revelation 21 tells us. The disciples would have temporary sorrow but eternal joy because Christ knew them, Christ would return to them, and when Christ would leave them, he would send to them the one that Christ told them was better in the person of the Holy Spirit. Jesus always used the most perfect illustrations in his teaching. Here, he compared the disciples' situation to that of a woman giving birth. Laboring to deliver a baby is one of the most painful things a woman can experience. Why is it painful? Genesis chapter 3. From that point on, the pain during childbirth is a reminder of the fall of sin in this world. Men, praise God that we're men, and we cannot give birth to a child. The pain that I, I cannot tell you from experience, but I can tell you from having witnessed it, the pain is excruciating. As a human being passes through a birth canal that just blows the human mind to think, how? How is that possible? But it is, and the most glorious thing happens. New birth. New birth the birth of a human being. As we read here in the ESV, in the NASB, it's translated the birth of a child. The birth, the birth of the one who has upon him or her the very image of the very God. A most glorious thing. That's why the moment that birthing mother puts physical eyes on that physical child, then in that moment, the pain subsides. Oh, it's, it's still there. 
It's still present, but joy overwhelms. Joy fills that mother's soul and heart and mind that in that moment, she sees her child. I love this image that Christ uses because I believe we can apply it today as well to the new birth in every believer. That we as the church, we as followers of Christ, that, that the pain that we have in this world, the sorrow that we may have, the struggle of any day that it may bring, that when God saves one, when God brings one to new life in Christ, that we should be overjoyed, that we should be so overjoyed, so praising God, so worshiping of God, that all else falls away. Jesus is making this point here. When the disciples saw the risen Savior, the sorrow they felt at his death would disappear. Later in this day, on that Friday, Jesus would, in fact, be crucified, but on Sunday would come, in a little while, he would appear before them in that upper room. The Old Testament frequently uses the image of a woman in labor and delivery to depict the transition from the old age of sin and death to the messianic era. From the old age of sin and death to, yes, the Messiah has come. The messianic era has began. Isaiah 26, verses 16 through 21 is particularly noteworthy for us as it compares the pains of a pregnant woman delivering her baby to troubles that occur before the final resurrection. Isaiah 26, verses 16 through 21. Listen as I read. O Lord, in distress, they sought you. They poured out a whispered prayer when your discipline was upon them, like a pregnant woman who writhes and cries out in her pains, when she is near to giving birth, so were we because of you, O Lord. We were pregnant, we writhed, but we have given birth to wind. We have accomplished no deliverance in the earth, and the inhabitants of the world have not fallen. Your dead shall live, their bodies shall rise. You will dwell in the dust. Awake, you who dwell in the dust, awake and sing for joy. For your dew is a dew of light, and the earth will give birth to the dead. Come, my people, enter your chambers and shut your doors behind you. Hide yourselves for a little while until the fury has passed. For behold, the Lord is coming out from the, his place to punish the inhabitants of the earth for their iniquity, and the earth will disclose the bloodshed on it and will no more cover its slain. Praise God. By using this imagery of his own death and resurrection, Jesus indicated that his death and resurrection inaugurate the last days. We live in the last days, awaiting his return, his triumphant return, and that he is the first of God's people to be raised from the dead incorruptible. One day, one day, 
I love getting on that pickleball court, but man, this rebuilt ACL and cartilage torn in the same knee three times, arthritis already in that knee. Wow, does it hurt afterward, but I keep going back. Wow, I, I can't wait until that knee pain is no more. Now I can play pickleball with joy incorruptible. Pain, no more. One day, there is no more sorrow. No more pain. And Christ is the first, the first, the first in his defeat of death to raise incorruptible. We have joy now because of the work and life of Christ. The, the source of eternal joy resides within us now. Therefore, we must live as benefactors of such joy in Christ. There's nothing worse to the testimony of Christ, I think, I believe, than Christians who walk around like sour pusses with frowns on their faces every day. Listen, I, I have times where there's not a smile on my face all the time. But I encourage each of us, each of us, when we know we are going to places where we will see others, specifically unbelievers, that coffee shop, that grocery store, that classroom, that place of work, fight for joy. Fight to reveal joy in your physical person. Fight to reveal joy in everything that you say and everything that you will do in front of them. Because everything that you do will reveal Christ in some way or another. How can we live? How can we boast in the trials of this present age and in so doing reveal the joy we have in Christ? One way, we look to others who have suffered rightly we look to others who have had and experienced these times of sorrow in their lives and have dealt with it rightly according to the word of God, according to the joy they have in Christ, according to the joy of Christ that lives and works through them in that time of sorrow. We look to them. We learn from them. Job is one such individual who suffered rightly. Job Chapter 19, verses 25 through 27, we read this. How, how could Job, how could this man, who literally had everything taken from him, everything, how could this man withstand such sorrow? Job 19, verses 25 through 27. For I know that my Redeemer lives and at the last, he will stand upon the earth. And after my skin has been thus destroyed, yet in my flesh I shall see God, whom I shall see for myself and my eyes shall behold, and not another. My heart faints within me. The man who had had everything ripped from him, his very skin turning against him. How did he endure such sorrow? 
he looked forward to Christ. We may also boast in joy because he indwells us by his spirit. John 16, verse 7, Nevertheless, I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage that I go away, for if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you, but if I go, I will send him to you. Verses 13 and 14, When the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth. For he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak. And he will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me. For he will take what is mine and declare it to you. We can look to others who have sorrowed rightly, been sorrowful rightly, in Christ, but we can also know that we have the very presence of the very Christ and his spirit indwelling us as his followers, as those who have been saved by the grace of God. And in so doing, his spirit communicates to us his truth, truths like he will never leave us nor forsake us, truths like he brings us to these points of sorrow, these points of suffering, so that, so that we will know him more and love him more. Truths like nothing, nothing, absolutely nothing in our lives as a child of the living God, truths like nothing, nothing that he does to us is but for anything but good. Good good for righteousness sake we may boast and joy because Jesus has overcome this world look at verse 33 that we will approach next week as this chapter is closed as Jesus proclaims I have said these things to you that in me you may have peace in the world you will have tribulation but take heart I have overcome the world How can we endure such times in this life? How can we experience the compassion of Jesus Christ in our times of pain and difficulty, of the circumstances that will plague us in this present age? We can know this, that there is nothing the world can bring to bear against us that Christ has not already overcome. As we close this passage this morning in verses 23 and 24, we see that we also have joy forevermore. Jesus was the victorious king of all kings. He was the victorious king of all kings as he endured the cross. He hung on that cross as the king of all kings. Jesus is the victorious king through the cross because he claimed many for salvation. Isaiah 53, 5 tells us, by his stripes we are healed. Healed from what? Healed from our sin debt. Healed from the penalty of sin that we should absolutely have to endure forever. But Christ, but the work of Christ, but the grace of God through the stripes, stripes that bled the blood of Christ to cover our sin. 
we are healed. We therefore, who are born again by God's grace, have joy now and joy forevermore. Joy that cannot be removed from us. Cannot be removed from you. Not now, not ever. Jesus tells the disciples in the closing verses of this passage, in that day, in verse 23, in that day you will ask nothing of me. Why would Christ say such a thing? Why would Jesus tell them such a thing that on that Sunday when he appears before them in that upper room and then beyond that he will ask nothing, ask nothing of him? After the resurrection, the disciples would begin asking for things from the Father in Jesus' name. After the resurrection of Jesus Christ, that entered in the time and the place when no longer would the disciples have to go through Jesus, speak to Jesus, ask of Jesus. They could be direct with the Father in and through Jesus' name. And it is the same for us today. Yes, there are religions There is a very beautiful church on the corner of an intersection here in Milledgeville where they say a priest must usher you to the throne of God. A priest must be your intercessor. No, Christ is our intercessor. Christ intercedes for us as we go to the throne of our Father and plead in prayer. We have joy now forevermore as we have the blessed opportunity to approach our Father in prayer. Each time we enter into a time of prayer, we commune with God. That's why prayer is not only so special, that is why prayer is absolutely necessary in our life as a follower of Christ. Absolutely necessary. For us to commune as fully as possible in this life, in this present age, with our holy God, we do so through times of prayer. For as we do, as we pray, we commune with God in Jesus' name through the power of the Holy Spirit. Prayer is a Trinitarian work. When we pray, we experience the Trinitarian work of God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit in our life. Approaching God the Father, in the name of Jesus, through only the power of the Holy Spirit. So we must pray. We must pray frequently. Prayer in the life of every believer is vitally important for us to live as to Christ. If we hope, if we hope to be the gospel witness of the Christ in this city, if we hope to see many claimed for Christ, then we must live as Christ in this city. We will not be perfect. We will not be perfect, but all the more in our weakness, we proclaim Christ and his cross. Prayer is also vitally important in the life of the Branch Church Milledgeville. That's why, starting August, we will have two times of prayer to join as a body together, to pray together, to commune with God together, Monday mornings at 6 a.m., Saturday mornings at 7 a.m. Two opportunities for us to join together and pray together for this city, for this church, for this world, for the glory of Christ. 
Jesus moves to a point of obedience here in closing this chapter. The obedience point that Christ is driving the disciples to is, is how they will pray, the manner in which they should pray from then on once he appears before them on that Sunday evening. Obedience is the path to joy in this life. Obedience to the commands of Christ, obedience to what God commands us to do, to be, to say, will bring joy in our life in this present age. We are instructed to ask the Father in my name, in Jesus' name. We can know that if we ask the Father in Jesus' name, what does Christ tell the disciples and us? He, the Father, will give it to you in Jesus' name. Those are the key words there. Those three very critical words in Jesus' name. Look, I want to pray to God to give me a brand new F-150. I want a truck. I don't feel I'm proper villain unless I can drive down Kings Road, Stembridge Road, and into town in a pickup truck. I would just prefer it be brand new. Listen, what, what Christ is teaching the disciples here is this. When we pray in the name of Jesus, we then pray in the character of Christ. Meaning this, when we pray and pray rightly, when we approach the throne of the Holy God in the name of Jesus, then we will utter words. We will have, we will have utterances to God that will reflect the character of Jesus Christ. the character of Christ. Jesus closes verse 24 with the words that your joy may be full. How? How will their joy be full? We pray, we seek God's heart and his will in the name of Jesus by the power of the Holy Spirit. We and they commune with God. There is no more fullness of joy than when we see and when we submit to the will of God in this present age, in this life. What awaits the believer in the age to come? What awaits us as followers of Jesus Christ in the age to come? No more sorrow forever in the visible presence of the very visible Christ. Revelation chapter 21, verse 4, we read this. He will, what God will, he will Wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. I can tell you that as my mother laid there on that bed in that hospice center, and as she was taking her final breaths, and when she breathed out that final breath, it's more than just imagery when we die, this physical death. We breathe out this life, ushering in new life. And when her dead body lie there, there was pain, there was sorrow, but there was peace.
peace. No more sorrow. No more pain. There's coming a day a coming a day that regardless of the sins we have committed, the woman that has had an abortion, the man who has committed murder or adultery against his wife, there is coming a day that all, all who will confess their sin, turn to Christ, surrender to Christ as their Lord and Savior. There is coming a day when the sorrow of sins past, the sorrow of pain past, will be no more. What awaits the unbeliever? Eternal torment, pain in the presence of God's wrath. Revelation chapter 20, verses 11 through 15. Then I saw a great white throne and him who was seated on it. From his presence, earth and sky fled away and no place was found for them. And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne, and books were opened. Then another book was opened, which is the book of life, and the dead were judged by what was written in the books according to what they had done. And the sea gave up the dead who were in it, death and Hades gave up the dead who were in them, and they were judged, each one of them according to what they had done. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death, the lake of fire. And if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. This is what awaits the unbeliever. What is it then we should ask of the Father in Jesus' name? There are many things, many things we may ask of the Father in Jesus' name. Just this week when Jennifer and Lily were in Alpharetta, while Jennifer was running the tennis tournament and Lily was interning once again this year, the finest intern in, in the world, I prayed each day, Lord, please don't bring rain to Alpharetta. Please don't bring rain to Alpharetta because I long to see my wife and daughter again. Because Landon and I... Let me tell you, we, we starved for the week. It's true, Alyssa. And we finally got a nice home-cooked meal last night. Yes, I can cook, but it's just not the same, okay? But what is it that should be at the top of our list that we should pray to the Father for? Two things, humble hearts, humble hearts. We approach the age to come in humility due to what God has accomplished for us by his infinite grace. Humble hearts. And second, we pray for opportunities to bear witness of the truth concerning the age to come. We, we, we who are in the army of Jesus Christ are those who must sound the alarm who must sound the call every day. Christ is coming again. Turn to him. Be saved. Repent of your sins. Know Christ. Our objective, our mission as a follower of Jesus Christ, 
you will probably hear me say it every time I get in this pulpit, the Great Commission. Matthew 28, verse 19. Our mission, our one directive we were given as a follower of Jesus Christ when he ascended to the Father in heaven, our one directive, make disciples of all peoples. Make disciples of all peoples. Of every nation, every tribe, every tongue, make disciples. We live in the city of Milledgeville for one singular purpose. We have jobs, we have classes, we have families, but we have everything that we have. We have the very life that we breathe, the very life that we live for one individual purpose. Make disciples of Jesus Christ. So we plead with the Father for humble hearts and witness gospel witness opportunities. Why? Because we know, we know as followers of Jesus Christ that there is a path of joy and sorrow that there is joy in sorrow. There is joy in the pain of this world, and it is nothing that the world can provide, but it is everything that Christ alone can provide us. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much. We thank you so much that, again, the opportunity to worship you, the opportunity to be directed by your word to you, to know you more, to desire you more, to take pleasure in you more, to love you all the more. I pray, I pray that we mark the times in our lives when we most see and most know your compassion, Jesus, and that we be the most diligent people most diligent people, that everything that we do every day in our life, we do with absolute purposeful intention to make disciples of you. Jesus, in your name we pray. Amen.